Welcome to the RV Navigator Podcast, your RV lifestyle digital home. Visit the RV Navigator homepage at rvnavigator.com. And now, here are your hosts, Ken and Martha, podcasting from their mobile RV studio that might be parked in a campground near you. Hello, this is Ken, your RV Navigator. And Martha, the co-pilot. And we're talking to you from our picnic table at a campground in beautiful Bozeman, Montana. With the rustling of the Espens in the background and snow-covered peaks in the distant background. Because we've covered a lot of territory since the last RV Navigator podcast. But first, of course, we want to talk about... Oh, there goes a car rather noisily by. Sorry about that. Adding a touch oh. of verisimilitude to our recording. Yes, as they bring in their RV to park it probably right next to the RV Navigator the mighty, mighty podcast diesel. recording studios. Mighty diesel Just to let you know, we are live and uh, we are really in a campground. Oh, yes, he's going to back up now. So um, we want to let you know that our contact information is, of course, at the website at rvnavigator.com and... Navigator at rvnavigator.com is our email. And if you'd like to drop us a quick line on our listener comment line, it's 815-230-0772. Boy, am I organized today, huh? I'm impressed. (laughs) Here we are at the end of June, and we have uh, actually had, as I mentioned, a lot of miles under the old uh, wheels. We've been moving a lot faster than we usually do in our retired state, where we feel we have the luxury (laughs) of time. uh, Because, as we mentioned last month, we picked up a friend of ours uh, of longstanding from Munich and took him on a tour of the National Parks. And you are going to hear an extended interview with him and hear of his impressions and his views of RVing in the United States. He was not a camper, had never been really camping. Well, as we say, this is not really camping. Hadn't been in an RV, had never seen an RV as big as ours. And you'll be very uh, fascinated by his story and what his uh, views are of the national parks that we visited as well as the RV lifestyle. Because he only gave us three weeks to uh, see as many national parks as possible, we... uh struggled a bit with the itinerary to try to pick the best ones and not spend too many days in the car and uh, I think we did a pretty good job yep. of showing him yep. some of the major parks in the United States starting at the Grand Canyon and ending at Yellowstone uh, with, with a few other stops in between. And the big city of Las Vegas. Of course when we visit him, when we visit in Europe, he always takes us to churches and museums and so I had to add a couple of churches and museums in on this trip. He's a very cultured erudite man, far more And I offered than to take are. him to the Liberace Museum, which is the only one I could really find <laughs> on our itinerary in Las Vegas. But somehow he declined. We just didn't have time. So what we, a shame. we have not yet been to the Liberace Museum. But of course, if you've been to Tetons, you know that there are a couple of beautiful little chapels in the woods that overlook the mountains. And so that was our religious People experience. People attempted a European <laughs> church. There were no frescoes. <laughs> Hard to believe, but and we haven't been in this area ourselves for about thirty 
years, and uh, we were glad to see that it pretty much matched our memories and hasn't changed too much, although Yellowstone really has taken it on the chin with that fire. Um, remember, they used to always have that years ago. Smokey the Bear, don't have forest fires, and then they really paid for it that one year when, when they had the huge fires. And, and there seemed to be insect manif- uh, manifestations there as well. So the trees didn't look very good in Yellowstone, but the geysers were still putting on a show, and uh, it's a wonderful park, and the first one, first national park in the world, and of that we can be proud. And certainly compared to the um, similar places in Europe um, that we have visited with Hartmut, the scenery is just as fine, but you don't have the emptiness and the natural animal life that, that we enjoyed while we were on this trip with him. And he kept comparing this trip to the bus trips that he might have taken had he not known us and, and been able to travel with us. And I think we were shocked at uh, some of the itineraries that these bus trips really, really tried to attain. The 20-day trip that we looked at did over 400 kilometers, which is 300 miles a day. Every day. And we just kind of sweep through a national park. I know. know. See it from the window. And then it did this little side jog over to Hawaii. It was just incredible. How could you do Zion and Bryce in one day? And the Grand Canyon. And parts of the Grand Canyon. Come from Las Vegas. We often often talk about if it's Tuesday, it must be Belgium, uh, the movie that uh, took you through Europe in in a week. And, you know, I guess Europeans and Japanese and, and foreigners in general kind of do the United States in the same sort of way. I don't know. It's hard to believe. And when you're in Europe, you can easily drive from one country to another in a day. And I think they just don't understand how big this country is and how you... Even within Yellowstone, we spent hours in the car going from one exciting feature to another because everything is huge in the United States. And we tried to cover everything in in a little bit of detail. We spent uh, over a week in the Grand Canyon and we helicoptered into the bottom of the Grand Canyon. We rafted on the canyon. We did the... The, the mule, mule ride. ride down into the Grand Canyon. We walked along the rim, rim of the Grand Canyon, and we, you know, we tried to do all of those things, and it it was worked out pretty well, I think. But uh, you'd hate to spend less time. As a matter of fact, we were harassing him for only allowing us a couple days in in Bryce and Zion and those places. And even though he tried hard to read his travel books before he left home, there's nothing like seeing a place for yourself. He felt like he didn't understand what he was reading until he got here and reread the books after he'd been in these places because then it really has meaning for you, which is why you travel. You have to see it with your own eyeballs. So uh, that took about three weeks since the last podcast, and we have been uh, putting quite a few miles on the wheels, and the RV has uh, done well. And And we're not done yet. We dropped him off in Salt Lake, and now we are headed north because we are headed to the Calgary Stampede, which we will be reporting in depth and in full from in the next podcast. We really don't know much about it. We know it's a wonderful rodeo, and we've always heard about it, and it's been on the list. So we will be rodeo experts when we talk to you again. And we've just been kind of planning our itinerary for the rest of the trip. It's been interesting because... Up until now, virtually every night has been planned and reserved, and and the plans have been made long in advance because we wanted the trip to go smoothly, and it has. The reservations were there, and people were expecting us, and the prices were what we expected. But we passed the Walmart here at... (laughs) 
in Bozeman. <laughs> in Bozeman. And we were thinking, well, we probably will spend a, be spending a couple of nights in a Walmart parking lot. On our way home. On our way home because it's just more convenient. And there were at least three or four RVs in this one here. But this kind of brings up um, an article which I collected from this last month. A 46-year-old man has been living in an RV in the parking lot of a Houston Walmart on and off for three years. <laughs> That's hospitality. That's hospitality. At the Walmart Supercenter in Dunvale and West Westheimer, there are always low prices. In Houston. In Houston. There have always been low prices, but rent has been apparently free for a man who parked his recreational vehicle in the store's lot. The owner of the RV, a 46-year-old David Inman Jones, even has trouble deciding how long he's been living at the Walmart lot. His answer varies from three months to three years. It's been at least three months off and on. I, I first was staying there just for a few months, but it ex- was extended. And, you know, we were, we've were we been kind of wondering how long we should stay in, our, in, in a Walmart. And the RVs that are in this one have obviously been there a couple of days. They had their slides out, and it was in the and morning. We by around noon, and they were <coughs> already comfortably ensconced for today anyway. Yeah. Which and makes me kind of uneasy. Yeah. I, I, I think feel like that's our philosophy is basically we kind of come in after six and and leave in the morning. We stay in them when we're really as, moving. Yeah, because you know RV parks deserve to have the rentals. To Walmart's are nice enough to let you stay there, but for three years you go wow. <laughs> giving RVers a bad name, but you know I kind of wondered on this trip. We've been doing most of our travel um, off season now that we're retired because um, it's less crowded and it tends to be cheaper and all the obvious advantages. And we started this trip before the school year ended with our friend um, and we reserved all the campgrounds to make sure we were where we were going to be with good experiences but I would have to say that for the most part we really didn't need to do that and I don't know if it's a matter of the recession and people doing a lot of staycations we did read that the visitors to the national parks were up six percent in May and it certainly didn't seem uncrowded in the national parks themselves and the campgrounds well, I in didn't the feel, national I didn't parks feel that it was crowded either did fill up the campgrounds in the, yeah, the national the, parks the, did fill up yeah. But, but you could easily find places to stay, you know, on the periphery of the park. So I, I don't know if this is typical of most summers and we just kind of have lost track because we've been retired and we yeah. haven't been traveling in the summer as much. Uh, but it looked like you could be flexible and you didn't have to lock in your schedule too much unless you had to get somebody to an airport in three weeks and be there <laughs> right. on the right time. And we have stayed in some beautiful, beautiful parks, both uh, scenically beautiful as well as uh, full service with, with all the amenities. And it has been a pleasure to stay in, in many of these places. They, we've had some some really scenic locations, including the one we're staying in right now. <laughs> the but then really again, who's going to stay in Bozeman, Montana, Montana? In the, at the end of June? Well, it's it's, it's not anywhere as near full. It's on the ways to places. Yeah, I suppose And the so. other thing that really struck me, especially when we were in the big name parks like the Grand Canyon and Yellowstone, was how many rental RVs we saw there. It almost felt like a third of the campground was people with those white boxes with the big lettering and the pictures on the side from um, RV America. There are a million of of the companies. And we couldn't always tell if they were Europeans renting or Americans renting, but that certainly was a popular way to visit the national parks this summer. And one of the big names that you see on the sides of these RVs is Cruise America. And we were interested, as she said, in knowing who's inside these guys. And from what I read, there's been a decline in overseas vacationers, um, and it has uh, fueled uh, local 
campers to try out these RVs as a as a step into doing real RVing, which is which is very interesting. Uh, Cruise America has 125 locations across the country, but Europe accounts for only 30 percent of its rentals, which is kind of a surprise to us because we assume that most of them were basically your overseas renter. And, and that someone uh, who lives in this country would beg, borrow, or steal a, an RV of their own. We did see lots and lots of RVers. Uh, and, of course, those are pretty basic RVs by our standards, um, more like we rented in in South Africa but as well as... for a typical two-week yeah, vacation, very yeah, No slides. Or, and, and bringing up slides, I've been very interested to see this month that Born Free, which is... A very popular RV and very loyal um, customer base has brought out its first slide on on one of its RVs. The model 32-foot rear queen uh, now has a slide on it. Born Free has for years disdained slides, and the president of the company has been quoted as saying, Born Free will never create a slide. But today, if you're going to buy a new RV and you don't have slides, to me it just is it just makes not, so much more sense. Not viable. That uh, exactly. And even now, they have a little teeny little slide on the back. One that, little bump up. <laughs> yeah. that, that's and, for know, the bed. And there we were in our 40-foot motorhome with our friend from Munich kind of uh, doing the tiptoe tango around each other <laughs> uh, with just three people. The tiptoe tango. And um, you can imagine, you know, the family without a bump out or a slide out, it would be really uncomfortable. Yeah. You'd have to hope that you had a lot of good weather and you could do your living outside. But it's nice to see the Born Free is finally bringing their standards up to the 21st century and is going to have slide outs. You see their RVs around a lot and they have uh, many uh, rallies and things and, and the, the, the people are very loyal. So uh, you may as well give them what they want in terms of buying a new RV. And who knows who's going to be buying a new RV these days. I was surprised by this article that you found about Numar um, doing so well and, and, and very happy to see it because it seems to me that Numar is the manufacturer of our motorhome. Well, and the article says uh, Numar continues Class A market share gains. Numar continues its market share growth in the RV market. Um, it has now has a 49.2% uh, year-over comparisons and actual market share to, has increased to 6.1, which is very interesting. And why do you suppose this is? Because everybody else went out of business. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and when nobody's selling cl- large Class A's... You sell three and you're up 49%. <laughs> exactly. Statistics are are wonderful. Well, so if anybody had we, to still be in we business, we do give I'm kudos to to <laughs> Numar, but and we do appreciate them as a company, and they've been quite <laughs> quite good. I'm not sure that these statistics are all that significant in in, in reality. Well, we're looking for good news wherever we can find it. Well, of course, one of the things we always want to do is foil burglars. Although uh, we have never had any really? any sort of issue. We camped burglars. eight weeks in Europe in a two man tent, and we never <laughs> lost a thing. So. <laughs> But we have a new tool that I'm sure that our listeners will love to hear about. This looks hokey pinocchi to me. <laughs> no, this looks very realistic. <laughs> if you want to do this, just leave your TV on. No! <laughs> this is called the fake TV burglar deterrent. <laughs> and what it is, break. it's... <laughs> oh, it does run down your battery. No, no, no. It runs on its own batteries. <laughs> and what it is, a small device that has LEDs on the front that flicker on and off, uh, simulating the light that a TV would put out. So the when nice... we go home and we store our, our <laughs> motorhome in the lot, we're going to leave this flickering light in the window. <laughs> 
Well, maybe. Um, if you want to go to, to faketv.com, um, you can see this device for your own self. But the cool thing about it is it doesn't plug in, so you don't have to have wasting your actual TV. And it um, turns on when the when the... The sun goes down. Very thrifty. Very Well, not so thrifty, but that's when you need it. So that if a burglar comes up to your door and the lights are on and he sees the flickering of what looks like a TV set, he will be scared away and won't want to come in because he thinks you're in there watching your TV. Do I feel safe now? <laughs> Honest to God, this is a real product. Well, people can and, invent and we'll, whatever they want. And we'll probably be testing it for we you. We probably will. In the next uh, show. <laughs> Oh, yes. So I think we'll move on to our interview. It's about time we hear from a different point of view than the Ken and Martha show. So it's nice to have a third person join us. Martha doesn't say much because Hartmut is quite a talker. And remember, his his first language is not English. And he's also quite fluent in Italian. I was very impressed. He's been working on learning Italian since he retired. And there were many times when we would be out hiking and a group of Italians would pass and he'd immediately <laughs> strike up a conversation with them and practice his third language. And then there were other times when a group of Germans would pass by and, and he would try to act like he was, was an American. American. <laughs> anyway, uh, I'm sure you'll enjoy this interview and uh, as much as we enjoyed having him with us and we enjoyed making the interview. So take it away, Hartmut. Well, dear listeners, as you know, we like to introduce you to new and interesting characters who have accompanied us on RV trips, and we've done that in the past several times, and tonight we have a very special guest with us because... He is from Munich, Germany, and he has been traveling with us for about three weeks. Hartmut is an old friend of ours, and as you said, a real character. Uh, we love to hear his point of view about our country and the experiences that he's had here uh, as we've been visiting some of our most famous national parks. Yes, and we have uh, tailored this trip for his interest because we've known him for over 30 years, and his interest in visiting the national parks has overwhelmed us and so we have been spending these uh, weeks visiting Grand Canyon, Zion, Bryce, the Tetons and Yellowstone and now we are in Salt Lake City on a beautiful summer's evening and we're sitting at the picnic table next to the RV and we are nearly done with our three-week adventure. Now Hartmut has not been camping before. Right. Actually, I have never had such an experience, and I feel over happy and glad that uh, I very much benefited from Ken's and Martha's experience uh, on the RVs. Um, we normally uh, spend uh, much shorter times uh, going somewhere, uh, either to little hostels or even to monasteries. And what's a hostel? hostel is uh, um, well priced uh, place to go mostly in scenic uh, area in Bavaria or Austria or very often meeting friends in, in Italy uh -huh. Uh -huh. So your travel experiences have not involved tenting? No, neither tenting nor staying in an RV. But I, as I said, I feel quite uh, benefiting from their enormously large RV. <laughs> and I, I was granted the West Wing, which... He set, uh, he set himself up in the front <laughs> of the RV in the West Wing, which was not to be confused with the president's... Uh, Even though it has some similarities with... Uh, was the president's suit and um, uh, 
I very much appreciated it, and they gave me the liberty to to be their alarm clock every <laughs> morning. Showers every morning. <laughs> <laughs> so we picked you up in Phoenix, and we visited the Grand Canyon. Um, what did you enjoy about the Grand Canyon? Uh, well, actually, I enjoyed all uh, national parks uh-huh. very much. They are so different from what we have in a very tiny uh, Germany. But uh, uh, what I liked best was uh, Bryce National Park with uh, the hoodoos. And uh, these were very scenic. And I, well, that's no criticism, but I would have liked to stay there for a longer time. And uh, time elapsed uh, so quickly anyhow. And we uh, just see the planes coming to Salt Lake uh, City Airport and I'm tears running down my cheeks already. <laughs> because he can hardly wait to get home and see his family. <laughs> no. One thing that you said, Hartmut, that I also experienced when we traveled to New Zealand was that you read the guidebook thoroughly before no, you left home and you really didn't understand what you were reading until you were here and actually experienced the parks. And I had the same feeling when I went to New Zealand, so it's not a matter of speaking English. Why do you think that was? How are things different? Uh, I think it was hard for me to uh, to find out uh, which trails to choose, and I very much uh, benefited from Masters and Ken's uh, planning. Even though we uh, tried to be as flexible as possible, and we had to be flexible uh, because uh, not always uh, the weather was all that mm-hmm. nice. Even though the um, rainy and uh, weather and the clouds occasionally didn't disturb me all that much as uh, did uh, Ken because he likes always perfect photographs, whereas (laughs) I, I as a hobby painter, can always uh, make amends and make them brighter if if I like to. He adds the blue sky even (laughs) if it's not there, and then he criticizes my photos. Uh, And I can can always add a higher old faithful than it was (laughs) in in actuality. (laughs) Well, um, we had different approaches to touring and different... uh, interests perhaps. I had just returned from a, a trip to monasteries in, in the old world and it was a, a, a glorious uh, change uh, to a field who, uh, who, which I hadn't been all that much accustomed. But what were some of the differences that you were that were surprising to you as you came to the United States and, and our national parks? I think the, the uh, enormous uh, free plains uh, expanses, the, the huge distances, what we did during the last two or four days would have brought us through three or four different countries in Europe uh, and uh, the, the, those uh, national parks we came across were um, uh, of a perspective uh, which I ha- would never have a chance uh, to see anything similar in, in so, Europe So when you go to the Alps which of course are very near to your home 
How is that different than visiting the Well, the closest uh, I saw here was the uh, Grand Teton. That oh. was uh, fairly similar to what we have in Alpine regions. And again, uh, here in uh, in Salt Lake City, we are just uh, overlooking the the hills with um, houses on top of the of the hills. I was sometimes lacking the nice little chapels or the crosses on top of the hills. So you were kind of surprised by the nothingness that uh, encompasses the national parks? Very much so. Uh, that was uh, in particularly the case in Arizona, uh, close uh, to Grand Canyon. Uh, the, the, the most scenic spots, of course, were very busy with tourists, but uh-huh. once you had uh, left those places, you would have gone for hours and seen only some lonely cows <laughs> or bison. And this was uh, fairly much the same case uh, while we stayed in Yellowstone Park um, and driving for for hours uh, or uh, at least a very long time without meeting meeting any habitation. Uh-huh. So in Europe you don't have national parks like this? Uh, only on a very, very limited uh, scale. We have one in Bavaria um, where and it was only interest- introduced during the last uh, 40 years I should guess. And really? This had been uh, all Always land of the farmers, and the only chance being there uh, as a more remote place, not all that mm-hmm. touristy, was that it was so close to the old uh, Iron Curtain, and uh, we don't have this. So, so in your country, you can't go hiking like we did and walk through the forest and over the mountains. Well, very much so. You yeah. can uh, can go hiking, but you will always come across uh, other people. And uh, one of the most popular hikes is crossing the Alps in 30 days if you are fit enough. But but you will always stay in in mountain cottages and and meet uh, farmers. Yes, there are tents, but I I personally have no experience with tents. Uh, The only experience uh, dating back 40 years when my brother bought a tent as a boy scout (laughs) and we had to test it in the front garden. But... uh, no, I have <laughs> have never had actual experience similar to that. And so, when you go hiking, you don't carry your your gear on your back. You would go and stay in a in a hut. Well, uh, we certainly have our backpacks yes. uh, for was personal enough things. personal belongings, and only the very tough people would take their, their um, sleeping bags with them or their small tents, but I haven't, have never done so. And so you're allowed to walk on private property? Yes. There's a spe- so you can walk across the Alps on private property? Very much so, really? yes. Uh, the, um, in the Alps, every single square foot would be p- uh, private property. Oh, really? And, uh, With and even and fences and... Yes, you you are meant to close the the gates for the cows, uh, and it is a done thing. But but you would always cross other people's property, and we are fortunate to have a special law in Bavaria that all lakes must be accessible to the public, even if uh, they are close to private property. Uh-huh. And outside Bavaria, you can continue to hike on the, in the Alps? Very much so, yes. Uh, I, again, I do not speak of uh, 
personal uh, experience, but I know that uh, quite a few people do this. And as I just mentioned, uh, the passage uh, from Munich to to um, Rome, that is 700 kilometers, is uh, getting more popular <laughs> as, a, as a hike trail. Yes, wow. hiking from yeah. hike to Rome. If you have accumulated uh, enough sins, you <laughs> go on this sort of pilgrimage. <laughs> and uh, the uh, the other um, uh, passage from from uh, France to uh, uh, Santiago uh, has become more uh, more or less like a, a high, highway for hikers. Uh, then uh, again, it is difficult to find accommodation during their steps because there are always thirty or forty uh, together with you, even if you don't know them. So it's a very different experience than touring. Very much so, and I very much appreciated uh, coming across uh, so much wildlife. I was sort oh. of over terrified by <laughs> by meeting a, a, a bear, and Probably they won't as, see a bear, uh, as, as ever so often, even on campgrounds, not to leave food or any personal belongings outside. So you never and find this. no, never ever. We had one. Actually, we no, had so. one uh, bear uh, <laughs> two years ago, but one, uh, one in Bavaria, and unfortunately, he was too hungry and at some uh, killed some sheep and then he was shot but uh, apart from that no cows if you start choo, 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 go, choo, uh, they will just escape and they won't harm you so you're not afraid of any cows <laughs> no nor any other wild animals sometimes farmers can get voracious uh, <laughs> if you pass them right? uh, yes <laughs> but uh, apart from that uh, this is uh, no no problem at all not even in Italy where there are some uh, some more restrictions. Uh, uh-huh. Italians uh, like hunting much and they, they like shooting a lot and you are um, well advised to be talking loudly or singing, which I very much prefer and then they don't mistake you for... Uh, <laughs> to give us a sample. <laughs> don't mistake you for a boar or something like that. Good. Uh, so you've been staying with us at a, obviously in campgrounds and uh, are these what you expected? No. Uh, I have never seen such a, uh, an enormously long RV, even though yes. uh, Ken and Martha were kind enough to send me a video to, uh, for me and my children that they would know where I might stay. And uh, they saw the slide outs and, and that uh, you hook up uh, an extra car, which would be... I have never seen such a thing in, in nowhere in Europe, even though I have to admit, uh, perhaps Perhaps uh, it would, easy, would be easy to find some Germans who correct my limited yes, experience. Yes. But I'm, I count myself as a frequent traveler um, and still have not seen such a thing. How about the campgrounds? The campgrounds are enormous, and I very much uh, appreciate that Ken uh, um, prefer those without trees uh, to have a better um, internet connection via his satellite, whereas we would would have uh, preferred uh, remote places where you have a lot of trees around you. Yes, many people would feel that way. Um, 
So well, we tried to pick compromise candidates uh-huh. that would have a little bit of both. <clears throat> Even though wouldn't know anybody who goes uh, with his notebook uh, traveling around and uh, trying to get uh, internet computer notebook uh, computer notebook well, you to, to with get a notebook. <laughs> He's out there sketching. I'm out there shooting pictures, yes. digital pictures. Uh-huh. So when once we go uh, on a trip, we want to be um, unhooked from any news and uh, don't even want to see TV or listen to the radio and just listen to the nightingales. And Would your son Rupert agree with this? <laughs> May well have been. At least he didn't send me an email while he was uh, tra- traveling <laughs> on holiday. So actually there had been quite different approaches to holiday making or different uh, uh, agendas of uh, people uh, uh, out of their active business life. But I very much appreciated this expense and it certainly widened my horizon considerably. So you have uh, three children and and traveled... uh on family vacations, many of our listeners would be would be doing RV trips with their families. And so, how were how did you spend your family vacation time? Well, up to the time when they got <coughs> married, uh, we tried to to travel together to, <laughs> to travel together, benefiting from the fact that we have quite a few friends where we can stay overnight. The Italian friends uh, mm-hmm. are quite hospitable, and they have the additional advantage. Of having a vineyard and an uh, olive mm. uh, grove where mm. we could stay. Um, but you didn't camp. You no, never. House? We have never camped. The only alternative being going to youth hostels, uh, which is quite yes. widespread in most of the countries in Europe. And uh, if you go there as a as a whole family, you get your own room, and you uh, those uh, hostels are very often in the most spectacular places. And uh, we did this quite frequently in Switzerland and very much enjoyed it. And uh, even though the children sometimes complained when they had to see uh, visit uh, the 5th or 15th uh, little chapel during uh, one day, <laughs> now they tell me that they in turn do fairly much a similar thing with their children. <laughs> but these were trips by automobile, yes, not by plane. Well, we ha- actually we had been... Uh, traveling to to New York once as a whole family, but um, the, apart from that, we always uh, went by car, by our, our own car, benefiting from the fact that we had three different rows of seats where the boy the boy could sit in a different place from the girls, and this helped to pacify the whole situation very much. You've been to the United States several times. Visited us a couple times. A couple of times. I very much uh, benefit uh, from uh, Masters and Ken's friendship uh, going back to 35 or 40 years. And uh, the the very first event uh, started widening my eyes. Uh, The only English speaking country being England up to that time. We had been to New York and Washington and Williamsburg, and then I uh, was on a camping trip. uh, 
uh, yes, very, that was the very first uh, uh, experience with uh, camping. Uh, th- this was more the type of uh, RVs we would have yeah. on the Volkswagen, uh, um, very frequently converted into a. But what, what I wanted to ask was about uh, the, just the American culture and things that you've noticed that are surprising to you. I just came over with the GM crisis and I was uh, stunned by uh, seeing so many Japanese cars uh, uh, sometimes uh, being relieved seeing a Mercedes and making me homesick <laughs> again or some Volkswagen or uh, still the cars are much bigger than what we are used to even the the nice Mercedes X5 is uh, tiny compared to uh, those cars you have really? over here uh-huh. yes uh, it is obviously linked to the fact that um, uh, our gas prices are much higher and uh, car man- manufacturers are very and well advised to produce cars with uh, very economical so mileage. Selling for? Well, we measure in liters and, uh, and euros. Uh, one liter uh, would be 135 at the moment. Euros. Uh, euros. And a euro is about $1.40. So you have so four times. $2 a liter. Uh, even though um, uh, I don't know, <laughs> yes, again, how to convert it. Uh, my car takes six liters per 100 kilometers, uh, and uh, they aim at uh, having the standard by three liters per, so considerably reducing the fuel yeah, consumption. Yeah, yeah. Now, you've been driving with us, obviously, and sitting right next to us as we head down the highway. Uh, have you noticed uh, differences in our highways and the way they're marked? <coughs> Is yes, it, it, would, would, you, would you have trouble navigating here in the United States? No, I don't think so. They, as long as you have a GPS, the, as as long as I have a GPS, and as long as the traffic is as sluggishly as uh, we expand it in some places. Even though I made a mistake to mention this earlier, and this obviously incited Ken uh, <laughs> using the utmost speed limit over here. And today I saw that he was uh, warned by. Some police control was way ahead to to reduce our speed limit. No, we have an un, uh, we have no limits to uh, to the speed, even though that is not all that fantastic in in crowded areas where the speed they. Speed here is seventy-five miles an hour, and I wasn't going anywhere. And uh, well, some people uh, among my friends pride themselves that they go. 200 uh, kilometers per hour, uh, which is quite fast, Over and you start uh, you start sweating. But our, our lanes are so narrow. Why is that? <laughs> Obviously, I was misled. I was sitting in front, and I saw the white line on uh, just a few inches from the right-hand side and left-hand side, and the car, uh, the, the, the RV, is so wide <laughs> that I have... No, I'm, I have been corrected and I, I know that uh, in, in actuality the, uh, the lanes are fairly normal to our standards. Even. Your cars are narrow. <laughs> <laughs> but there's a strong tendency among Germans to sell their what is it, SVUs? SUVs. Uh, SUVs again because uh, the, we don't have this uh, off-road situation very frequently unless you have a... Yeah, but when you're traveling with a family, don't you need... 
Try to be well organized. Well, my my first car had been an, a French Renault R4, which was very tiny. I should think even uh, the, uh, it would would have gone into the boot of uh, of <laughs> your car, and we actually had to, we actually had to go twice to a place where we wanted to stay. Uh, bring like the fairy tale yeah. where you have a, like a, a wolf, <laughs> a wolf and a sheep and, uh, and uh, chicken and so I took uh, the, the family first without anything to, to our holiday oh. place had a nice nap and then <laughs> went back and then it took the, even though uh, later on I had a, a bigger van mm-hmm. van type which is still half the size of your vans over here um, and this was more practical so can you recommend coming to the national parks to our listeners? Yes, very much so. Uh, uh, admittedly, um, this tour had to compete with uh, so the, uh, some of those sandwich tours or oh, c- compact bus tours. bus tours, and they were reasonably priced, uh, and they were, I think... You were thinking about doing that well, going with us? I was thinking for five minutes, uh-huh. and I saw the program, and in 12 days, uh, even four or five more national parks really? uh, than what we had done, and I saw that they stated 550 kilometers per day, 650 kilometers per day. Mm-hmm. I was easily convinced mm-hmm. that this was not would not have been the right choice, apart from not having that company, which I enjoyed very much. So, <laughs> one of the things that's, that surprised Martha and I, I think, is how many rental RVs we've seen on the road. Uh, many, many rental RVs. Obviously, we don't know who the, the passengers are, whether they're Americans or foreigners, and it really makes no difference, but there are lots and lots of rental options if you were to come back would you consider can you recommend that as a as a first timer to to rent an rv and visit the national parks yes i'm I, w- I think i could do this uh, uh, if they accept my driver's <laughs> license which still dates back to the 60s and never changed and this was the only form of le- le- <laughs> legitimation when they wanted to have an id no um, I I quite um, see the uh, the advantage of flexibility. Uh, you don't have to care to see even the cheapest chain of accommodation. Uh, and going to the to the national parks is just a uh, uh, done thing. Even though those um, r- rental RVs we saw would not have uh, an additionally hooked on a car, and some of the the roads there were so narrow that we we did at least one tour twice, one in a more superficial way with, well, uh, with, with the, the RV. RV you could get in, mm-hmm. as we did in New Zealand. Okay. That was our only vehicle. Yes, I think uh, uh, from here, say, those people who had been to, uh, to uh, national parks in America, they always rented. Uh, and uh, and you've uh, people have done this. Yes. Uh-huh. Um, and you, you found quite a few of your countrymen here. Yes, quite so. 
So even though I sometimes try to identify <laughs> them as Germans and they were sort of puzzled by my perfect interna American intonation and they wouldn't <laughs> even have come across the idea that uh, I was just joking. So <laughs> and I think quite a few of them were at least, uh, when, if I'm not mistaken, um, yesterday there must have been a busload of yeah. those uh, oh, Americans. Well, the, if you have no choice, uh, um, yes. an organized tour would be a first eye-opener, and then you might go a second time on your own. I think from our, our perspective, not having been to these these big major national parks in 30 years, we were surprised <coughs> at the number of uh, foreign visitors that we had. And as the master started saying, uh, I was sort of confused going through the guidebooks, uh -huh. even though they were good guidebooks, yes. Lonely Planet guidebooks. Uh, but uh, um, only after having been there, I realized um, what I have seen and what I possibly want to see if I come back a second time on that tour. Well, on that note, we will invite you back a second time. And uh, you've given us an excellent opportunity to revisit some of our nation's uh, most scenic places. And we've been glad to, to have you as our guest. And yes. hope that we can do it again. Thank you. Well, wasn't that a nice break, listening to uh, another voice? And we're so glad that he was with us and we could see the country through his eyes. We really learned a lot together. Yes, we did. And so this is Ken, your RV navigator, saying we hope that we see you in a campground near us in Canada. And the next time we talk to you, we'll be filling you in on That's the Calgary Alberta. Stampede. The Calgary Stampede. Brum, brum. We did go to a small rodeo. With heart mode. With heart mode. Yes. Yes. Only none of the riders were able to stay on their, their no, mounts. No, the, they did the bucking Broncos okay, but they couldn't stay on the bulls. So we're going to the world. We're going to the opposite end of the scale. The here. Olympics of the rodeo. Olympics of rodeos, and where they're going to have truck wagon races, and hopefully the weather is much better than it has been. So uh, we'll tell you all about the Calgary Stampede when we talk to you next month. In the meantime, happy travels. Happy travels.